this is Father Bonaventure Chaplain. And this is Father Patrick Briscoe. And welcome to Godsplaining. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to Godsplaining wherever you listen to your podcasts. Well, dear Godsplaining listeners and viewers, this is a special guestsplaining episode, and we're happy to have with us uh, Professor Daniel McInerney. So, Professor, thank you for joining us. Oh, Father, it is, it's a thrill for me to be with you this evening. Thank you. Okay, well, I will give you a quick, I'll give a quick some details about you, some information, but then we'll hear more from you about things. So, Professor McInerney is a native of South Bend. There's a Catholic school out there. Uh, he's a graduate of that Catholic school in English, Notre Dame, Our Lady's University, and then transferred to an even better Catholic school, uh, the Catholic University of America, where he did his MA and PhD in philosophy. And now he's an associate professor of philosophy at Christendom College out in beautiful Virginia with a nice new... Uh, uh, chapel, although I want to say a cathedral, um, how that it, it, it looks like there. Um, but he's also involved, in, so he lives on Virginia area with a family, and not only does philosophy and other things, but also writes some fiction. So, Professor McInerney, maybe our, our viewers and our listeners might be familiar with some of your work and some of your family, um, but what what is it that you're up to? What is, uh, what is your project out there, and what, what keeps you busy these days? Well, two things generally. Uh, as you said, I'm a, I'm a professor of philosophy at Christendom College in Front Royal. I'm also uh, serving presently as chair of the department for my sins, and so oh, that that those those duties keep me keep me pretty busy. I I love Christendom College of all the Catholic institutions you just mentioned. Uh, in my heart, it's the best of them all. Um, it's a Time. wonderful, wonderful community. I love our students, love my teaching, love my colleagues, uh, just proud and, and honored to be there. Mm. Uh, but when I'm not teaching, prepping classes, uh, and, and avoiding my grading, I'm, as you said, I'm, I'm writing fiction. So in, uh, in March of this year, I, I published this novel, The Good Death mm. of Kate Montclair, which we might talk about. As we go on, uh, I also am a dramatist, uh, so I, I, I write stage drama as well, and um, all that keeps me keeps me pretty busy. Well, I wanna I wanna jump in with the first question then, uh, though Father Patrick has plenty because there's yeah between philosophy and and dramatists or dramatists and uh, and fiction writing and all of this, um, and since you're a philosopher, I know you're gonna love this and a historical philosopher I suspect too, is of course you know Plato and the Republic. Um, uh, as many of our listeners might know, was not to entirely sold on drama and the arts, uh, especially the poets and such. So, um, in fact, some would say that he wanted to ban them from the, the, the good city. But you are a practitioner of the arts, especially with drama. So how, do you, how does philosophy and drama, how do those come together and why are they both important? Yeah, that's a great question. And as it happens, I was just yesterday uh, to my freshman in my Introduction to Philosophy course teaching the third book of The Republic, where Socrates and his friends in the dialogue are really digging into this issue of, mm -hmm. of the poets and what poetry, if any, should we admit into the ideally just city. So, so that's a lot on my mind. But... Um, I'm not a Platonist when all is said and done. I'm an Aristotelian mm -hmm. on these mm -hmm. matters. So I have a very positive view of imagery and of story. Mm -hmm. I think you, you can make an argument that Plato did too. 
Um, yeah. He, he's, he says in book, yeah, in book three and in book 10, he leaves the door open for a kind of storytelling that uh, does promote the virtues, uh, simply put. Uh, and he issues an invitation for anyone who wants to come along and give a good defense of poetry to come along and make it, and he's willing to listen. And I've always thought of Aristotle's poetics mm -hmm. in particular yeah. as a response to that invitation. Uh, so that's a start to that answer. It, it really comes down to the power of of the image and and mm -hmm. of story. Now, your father, of course, is an, an extremely accomplished and very highly regarded philosopher, especially by uh, Thomas uh, of many different stripes. Uh, one poet that he and I both love very deeply is Paul Claudel. Uh, and I, I wonder how much, you know, I, I look at I look at your your CV here and look at some of your projects. I wonder if you might if you might share with us how much of that is due to your father's influence or, or what kind of encouragement uh, he might have offered to the to these pursuits. Yeah, you mean just uh, creative writing in general or that? Absolutely. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the whole thing. Um, he did encourage me, uh, e even as a little boy. Uh, he, I would see him in his, um, his, his not very attractive basement office in our house on Portage Avenue in South Bend, Indiana, um, with its, it was kind of an unfinished basement, and he had a chair next to uh, the heating system that, that blew very loudly. But he, he, he did tremendous work there, and I would see him writing on his old black royal typewriter and he would set me up on a stool and give me his second best typewriter and paper and wait for it carbon paper and i would imitate him i i, I would i would write stories so um he, he encouraged me uh, more by example uh and by giving me opportunities more than anything else um in philosophy, uh, it's it's a little bit of a different story. There was certainly, believe it or not, no explicit encouragement uh, on his part to say major in philosophy, which I didn't, uh, much less go to graduate school. That desire came uh, certainly from my genes and certainly from witnessing uh, his example. But um, he was as surprised as anyone. Uh, I remember going to his office one day at Notre Dame and telling him I was interested in graduate school, and he, he faked a heart attack. I mean, because it, it came just uh, out of the blue. Mm -hmm. um, but his example uh, was certainly a, a tremendous influence. Okay. Professor McInerney, I want to talk about the book uh, at some point, because the title is just uh, The Good Death of Kate Montclair. You might think, well, how could a, it's a book about death from by a, uh, this, and this book looks friendly. Um, but before I do that, uh, just a general point, it seems like Catholics have always been an interested in the arts um, uh, with the kind of imagination, and you talked about the images and such. Um, why do you think that the Catholic uh, imagination is so important, or why do you think that the arts, say the Museum of the Vatican, or say just the aesthetics uh, of the Mass and the, and the history of the Catholic Church, why, when you've, you've taught philosophy of art for a while, I suspect, and thought, and you've been an artist yourself, um, and you're a Catholic. So what is it about Catholics, the Catholic genius, you could say, that lends itself so close to the art, closely to arts in a way that, say, maybe some of our Protestant brethren or others might not be so conducive towards sure. it? Sure. 
I think it's our appreciation of, of the fact that we're embodied spirits and that we come to know the truth, uh, first of all, through our senses, as Aristotle and St. Thomas teach us, and we don't know anything. We have no ideas whatsoever that don't come to us initially from the senses and through our imagination. So what we do with art is we simply exploit uh, our natural knowing apparatus, you might say, and we craft images of our own that are vehicles for our knowing the world. Um, so it's, it really comes down to our embodied nature uh, more than anything else. And this is the, these are themes that I develop. Uh, another book I'll mention that, that will be appearing uh, in June 2024, a work of philosophy, uh, is called The Way of Beauty, a Philosophical Reflection on the Arts. And that's going to yeah. appear uh, from uh, Bishop Barron's Word on Fire ministry, Word on Fire oh, Academic. Great. He has a new line of scholarly books. Uh, so your viewers might want to look out for that. Please. Okay. Yeah, excellent. And then if I could just ask one more, as this is a similar question, um, uh, a, a little bit different, though, just as we're introducing the good death of, uh, of Kate Montclair here. Um, what is it, Professor, that you think makes a good work of fiction? What, what were some of the constitutive elements that, that you thought this work, uh, which, you, which you're penning, had to have? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think the most important elements of great fiction, uh, which I wouldn't separate in one sense from great Catholic fiction. Uh, I'm gonna steal from the great Catholic novelist, Stephen Lemoyne, um, who at least as his career went on, um, endeavored to portray human beings and human action um, always under the eye of God, so to speak that um, he wanted to write a fiction that told the human story, but the human story is, it's a theodrama. It's, it's, it's a drama of our quest for the divine. And I think any story that does not incorporate that element somehow is going to be lacking something. And mm -hmm. Uh, as Catholics, we have, uh, we can say uh, humbly but proudly that we have the fullness of the truth. Um, we are offered the gift of knowing the fullness of that story. And the more that you can incorporate it, the more that we writers can incorporate it into our own stories, I think the richer, more beautiful and truer our stories will be. That's a, that's a really good point for yeah, authorship in general, that in some ways, the true story, just like the true Christ of the Logos, Revelation reveals the logic of the world. Uh, in a sense, he also relieves the, re reveals the story of the world, that the drama, as you say, I'm going to fight the urge to to speak entirely about Hans Richard Balthazar here with all the <laughs> theodrama reference. I love him. But um, that the drama of the world has also been portrayed there, and so our best pieces. It's interesting, of course, that uh, so many Catholic novels and things can not feel very spectacular as, as works of literature. I think it's hard to do saints movies, for instance. Um, but maybe we'll come of back course, to that yeah. because I don't want to uh, waste any more time getting into this uh, this book that you've, you've written this novel, um, The Good Death of Kate Montclair. Uh, and you might think today, it's it might be darn timely because that sounds like a non sequitur to our society, The Good Death. 
because how could a death yes. be good? Isn't death ultimately evil? So tell us a little about maybe what, 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 why this book? Uh, what, what is this all about? Without giving the spoiler alerts and all these sort of things, so sure. our listeners can uh, can take it. Who's it for? Um, what's it about? And uh, yeah, what what do you what do you have to say about this this uh, exceptional yeah. book? Well, thank you. I, I'm very pleased that you keyed on that phrase in the title, "Good Death." Um, there is uh, there's something of a philosophical, indeed theological, sort of pun there, because of course that's the literal meaning of euthanasia, uh, mm-hmm. uh, a good death. But we also, as Catholics, we have a, we have a rich theological understanding of making a good death. And I wanted both of those understandings of that phrase uh, intention uh, in the title. And I, I think you're picking mm-hmm. up on that. And, yeah. and I love it. Um, the Good Death of Kate Montclair features as a protagonist uh, a woman in middle age. She's, she's 55 years old, Kate Montclair, mm-hmm. and she's just received a terminal diagnosis. She has brain cancer. It's inoperable. Um, there's nothing to be done. She learns this at the very beginning of the story. And it's not a spoiler to say, because I say it in the title, she dies. There is shocker. No, <laughs> shocker. There is no miraculous cure. That's not what yeah. the story is. The story is how does this woman approach her death? She was um, she had Catholic parents, but you couldn't even say she really had a Catholic formation. It's almost generous to say she's a fallen away Catholic, just very little uh, going on in her Catholic understanding, no other religious understanding whatsoever. But she has something of a philosophical soul. And so immediately when she receives her diagnosis, her thoughts go to what's the meaning of my life? What, what does all of this add up to? She doesn't have an answer to that question. And the novel, in a way, is her attempt to answer that question. Her first attempt to answer that question takes her into what you can call a death discussion group. It's kind of like a book club, uh, but they come together not to talk about books, but to talk about death. And in the novel, I call it the death symposium. But mm-hmm. it's modeled after something that, that truly exists. Um, uh, hmm. Viewers can, can, can look it up. It's called the Death Cafe. And it started in Europe, and it exists in the United States as well. And total strangers meet in coffee shops, and they talk about the things that our culture doesn't like to talk about. Um, how to die. Hmm. Um, and it's an interesting phenomenon. When I first came across it, I was both um, I was both horrified and um, and impressed by mm-hmm. what I saw because because on the one hand, here are people getting together again, total strangers, to talk about the most important thing. So so as a philosopher and believer, that that cheered me, but it also horrified me because. The very existence of such a discussion group means that these people really don't have a culture that helps them come to terms with death. They kind of have to make it up uh, mm-hmm. as they go along. And that's the situation that Kate Montclair uh, is in. She's, she's not the kind of person who goes to, 
into discussion groups about death in coffee shops, uh, even given her terminal diagnosis. But as it happens, this particular discussion group is moderated by one of her oldest friends, a woman named Adele Schrader, who she hasn't seen in many years. And it's Adele, once she finds out about Kate's diagnosis, who um, entices her to begin to think about euthanasia which where Kate lives in Virginia is against the law. So that's the basic mm -hmm. conflict that gets the story uh, up and going. Now, uh, in the novel, Kate describes herself as a catastrophist, which I sort of seized because I saw immediately there something, um, something opposite one of, the, one of the great ideas of Catholic fiction, which is, uh, of course, belongs to Tolkien, which is that every good story has a kind of you catastrophe a kind of a kind of coming yes. to fruition in a way that's so overpowering that 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 goodness involves a deep reversal um do, does kate have does kate have room for that in her life as a catastrophist uh, is this intended by you as an idea that's that's in opposition to tolkien's to tolkien's understanding of you catastrophe yeah um it definitely is in tension with Tolkien's idea. I don't know if I was thinking of Tolkien, at least when I drafted it. I was actually thinking more of, of Walker Percy's uh, character, Binks Balling, in the movie. Oh, Gunner, interesting. Uh, oh, of course. As, as, as something more of a model there. But uh -huh. yeah, Kate, very early in the story, describes herself as a catastrophist, and there's even sort of a mock dictionary entry uh, in her narration explaining what a catastrophist is. And what is it? Well, in her mind, it's somebody who has a sense that something has gone terribly wrong with the human story, that mm. there is a catastrophe, and that somehow everybody has forgotten about it or they have become numb to it. And only very few, like Kate, wonder what happened, why it happened. In short, the, this is the vestige of original sin and a sense of original sin in her. She doesn't use that theological category, but she knows that something went wrong with the human story and death is the chief sign of it. And to come to terms with death is somehow to learn how to face the catastrophe. Now, at the beginning of the novel, as so far as we know, that's her attitude. Life is catastrophe. Mm -hmm. You do your best to get through it. And as I was just saying, um, if, if fate deals you a terminal diagnosis, well, maybe um, an act of assisted suicide of euthanasia is, is the way to go. That's her attitude as we see her at the beginning. Um, but then, events transpire from there well Perfect. if i could just ask a follow-up there because uh well, because please. you 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 made the analogy between binks and kate right uh so binks has a lenny does kate also have uh, a lenny uh very good i would uh i hadn't thought about that comparison uh but i would certainly say yes oh, when she goes to the death when she goes to the death symposium um she meets not only her oldest friend, Adele Schrader, but she also meets another old friend, um, a man named Benedict Attila. And they, their friendship 
um, which involves the solution, uh, the solving of a mystery, uh, which I'll, I'll leave to those who would like to read it. Their friendship helps Kate think about life, uh, not merely as, as a catastrophe. Um, I'm not trying to spoil too much, but, but Benedict yeah, exactly. plays, plays a key role. And there's another character as well uh, who I think plays that kind of role, giving a perspective other than that of the catastrophist. Okay, that's, that's um, this is great. And I think timely because, I mean, well, it's been for the last 50 years maybe. I remember reading when I was training as an Anglican seminarian, was doing work on thanatology and Christian thanatology, the study of death, uh, logic of death. And I was reading uh, Ernst Becker's Denial of Death, he's a psychiatrist. Um, uh, I think a psychiatrist, or maybe, maybe a, no, I think a psychiatrist, not a psychologist. And it was talking about how in the 70s, America just didn't, in the West in general, like just didn't talk about death. We just, this wasn't right. a thing we cared about. We had the Kubler-Ross, we talked a little bit about the stages, but that was to ignore it. And I don't think that 50 years later, We've gotten any better at death um, that we still like keep it away from us. We, if someone's going to, we put people in nursing homes. We don't have people dying around. We don't talk about it. That the mere condition of the possibilities you say of these death symposiums and death cafes is that no one is actually dealing with this. I suspect is that is the, the kind of current Melu and this not talking about this or just the philosophical and theological confusions about it. Was that one of the reasons that you thought this would be a good book to write? Or is this, is that just a happy uh, coincidence or situation or did you have like is there i mean art is for its own sake in a way it's per se um but this is a, a super important topic i think that americans should talk sure. about whether christian or not right right no it was very much on my mind and and i appreciate how you put it which i think is exactly right um a work of art is for itself it um it's not just a weapon to be used uh in a culture war um, nonetheless, a writer cannot help but be, be influenced by the cultural currents that are swirling uh, all around him. And I certainly uh, am. Uh, I don't think we, we really live in a coherent culture anymore. I, I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm happy uh, to follow Patrick Deneen and others and call it an anti-culture. Um, mm -hmm. so, and and the the rise of euthanasia is 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 certainly a part of that and so yeah my story is a response to that mm -hmm. situation not as as a political speech uh not as a homily uh it is a work of art trying to capture um the direness uh, of our cultural moment um I, I feel for my protagonist, Kate Montclair. Yeah. Uh, she's, she's dying and she doesn't know what to do with the most, uh, the, the most important predicament a human being can land himself in. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yes, all that was very, very much on my mind. I'm just going to steal from Father Patrick um, for, for a second. So he took, he took advantage too. Um, because I want to follow up this with um, this particularly solving this problem or answering questions through art about our uh, most important matters. I was I remember I used to work at Barnes Noble, and I remember someone coming in one time and asking for uh, looking for a book, uh, and I've never forgotten this. And and sh I and uh, I said, well, well, what's the book? You know, what kind of book it is? Book is it? Is it fiction or nonfiction? You kind of do the 
Porphyrian yeah. tree as best you can. So you can divide the store in half by that way at least. And uh, I said, is it fiction or nonfiction? And she said, well, which one's the true one? And I said to her, a part of me died, but I get it. And I said, well, that's the fiction section. Uh, they tell truths. If you want random facts about stuff, that'll be a nonfiction. Which oh, I one, love it. You know, but like, but so, uh, but I, I deeply. That's I'm, a beautiful I'm, answer. I'm, I'm, I'm going to steal that one. You it. should. I teach because I teach philosophy of art as well. Um, and it, it, there's something to. So, well, put it this way: um, you have a truth to, to speak here, and I think the greatest truths are are felt through the spirit. Um, and artists, I think art is the the lowest level of that kind of spiritual experience of the of the human condition. Um, so, it, what is it about a novel uh, about death that is a better way of getting at this problem of our culture than say? an essay, a philosophical treatise or something like what is, what is it so what's so powerful about this this way? And it and you say not as like a, a bludgeon or not as like a utilitarian kind of this is the best way to take your it's like taking a a, a, a pill and putting it in, you know, uh, applesauce or something like a kid. No, no, but the artistic thing, how does how does that get at the truth of what we how we should respond or think about ourselves? Yeah. Um wow, there's a lot there we could talk about. Um mm. One big idea here that we, we should throw into the mix is that, and I talk about this in, in the philosophy book I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. The Way of Beauty, is that, um, is that stories are arguments. Um, I think you may have been thinking in your question about St. Thomas's prologue to uh, er, uh, his commentary on Aristotle's posterior analytics, mm. where he places poetry among the arts of logic. So St. Thomas is thinking of poetry, mm -hmm. we could say more broadly, storytelling as a kind of argument. But it's, it's not the most compelling sort of argument to the intellect, but it is the most compelling argument mm -hmm. to us as embodied spirits who, as we were talking about earlier, who learn from the senses and our imagination we, being the kind of beings we are, are made especially for the sorts of arguments that address us as, as rational animals, right? Mm -hmm. Who are made for sensible beauty, uh, leading us to super sensible beauty. So a story is just, it just, it just hits us. Our, you know, our philosophical love of truth and of argument coming from the senses and with images. I mean, that's a, that's a sandwich that we just cannot resist uh, as yeah. human beings. And so when it comes to the wider cultural argument, I don't think that there's any more persuasive approach uh, than storytelling or, or what we might call uh, poetic knowledge. Mm -hmm. One of the details, just for just for my last question, one of the details that I love from the book is Kate's selected epitaph, her, her motto, her slogan for her tombstone, right? Which is acceptable with alterations. Acceptable right. with alterations, right? Uh, and, and I wonder, Professor, have you given thought to what your epitaph will be? Oh, gosh. Um, I can't say that I have, but with each passing day, um, I, it seems I should be thinking about that more and more. 
Um, I just think it's a great maybe. kind of personal question, you know, for some, yeah. for someone to no, pause and think, no, what do I want? You know, yeah. I, I'll get, I'll get like a cross in the ground, so I won't get to choose anything, but, <laughs> but well, if I could I sure, choose something. <laughs> right. I, I sure spent a lot of time thinking of hates. And so I'm attracted to that one. Um, mm. I think to fully explain it, I might have to have to give some spoilers, but that's a phrase she mm -hmm. takes. No, she, no, she was a, a, a career uh, she was a career high school English teacher. And so when she would grade drafts of student essays, um, if it was pretty good, but still needed work, she would she would write at the bottom, acceptable, but with alterations, and the student would have to go back. Uh, she puts that on her tombstone. Um, she's she's achieved a certain level, uh, but there's, there's still some work toward perfection. Um, uh, we should all aim for sainthood, though. So I don't know if I want to choose that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's the that is the the, and the the aim in life, the goal of our lives is is saints. I love the story of Thomas Burton in his uh, the Seven Story Mountain, where he talks about he's he's become a Catholic, and uh, one of his friends, Rob Lax, says, "Well, what are you going to do now?" And he says, "Oh, I what do you want to be?" And he says, "Oh, I guess just a good Catholic." And Lax says, "That's not that's not what you should say." You should want to, you should say, and he says, well, what should I, what am I supposed to say? The good Catholic seems right. And he says, you should say you want to be a saint. Yeah. And he says, yeah. this seems, he says, this seems insane and wild. And he said, why, how could I do that? How do you do that? And Lack says, by wanting to be one, because God go. has made you to be that. And I've always, it's, it's terrifying to, to, to think about the sainthood, but as it's even ter more terrifying to think about the other option, because there's really... <laughs> There's only two. You only get two. Um, and so if you don't want to do the saint one, you get the other one. But um, Professor McInerney, it's been an absolute pleasure. But before we go, uh, where, so th this book, uh, Good Death of Kate Montclair, is available obviously at, at the standard kind of sites. Things, but where else can people look to to find your work, to get in touch with you, to, to, to this philosophy art book is coming out as well. Um, Give us some places where our, our viewers and our listeners can can get into your material and to follow you a bit. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, the novel uh, is available uh, everywhere. Uh, the publisher is Chrism Press, mm -hmm. uh, which I uh, which I highly recommend to your viewers. They they can buy it direct from from Chrism okay. uh, as well. Um, and yes, uh, the philosophically inclined can look out for my book, The Way of Beauty from Word on Fire Academic uh, in June mm -hmm. 2024. But I do also write uh, a substack, and that's kind of my main oh, online base. And I call it the Comic Muse. Um, and you can find it at danielmcinerney.substack.com or just uh, search on the Comic Muse or my name. And you should find it. It's a free subscription uh, at most uh, for most of the posts these days. And I write on all sorts of issues on that. Um, I'm also interested in technology. So I write a lot about the philosophy of technology, about art, about beauty, about writing, about culture. Uh, so it's all in there. I try to post uh, about once a week. Oh, you're you're a busy man, but uh, as as people say, if you want something done, find a busy person because they know how to keep <laughs> how to get things moving. Um, that's great, and we'll put that down in our our, our show notes as well, so people can find uh, you and find your material. And I think it'll be a great chance for them to to expand their artistic imagination, which is as we say, the Catholic imagination. So thanks for so much for for coming on with us. Thank you, Father Bonaventure, Father Patrick. Thank you.
Um, thanks again also to all our supporters. If you'd like to tithe or pay or contribute to our work, check us out at patreon.com forward slash God's Planning. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, uh, is that X now? Instagram. Like, subscribe, leave a five-star review or those sort of things. Visit godsplaining.org to shop our merch and get dates and information of up for upcoming God's Planning events. So that's it from us here. Please know of our prayers for you and please pray for us when we catch you next time on God's Planning.